We're going to be opening up tonight to Psalm 88. I'm going to read it at the outset and I'm not going to spend a lot of time pulling it apart, but I'm going to come back to it uh, at the end of the message. So we'll start there and kind of come around to the end there. And uh, we're also going to be reading from question and answer 44 in the catechism. That can be found in the bulletin or it can be found on page 877 in the gray hymnal. So I'll ask you to get both of those things out a minute. We'll read from God's Word first, Psalm 88, then we'll read together from question and answer 44. This is what we read in Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before You. Let my prayer come before You. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let me look at question and answer 44. Read the question. Let's read the answer together. Why does the creed add... He descended to hell to assure me in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, especially on the cross but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Word as we've read it in Psalm 88. We thank You for Your Word as it's interpreted for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. And Father, as we think about this article in the Creed that He descended to hell, an article which has been professed uh, in Your church for um, 1,500 years, Lord, we ask that You would give us wisdom to understand it aright. For Jesus' sake, amen. 
at VBS this past summer, I asked the kids what happened after Jesus died on the cross. The answer I was looking for was, he rose from the dead. To my surprise, that's not the answer I received. Somebody was smarter than Pastor Dirk. It was actually Lindsay. (laughs) Lindsay said, he descended to hell. I know exactly why Lindsay said that. And I was stuck up there in front of all the kids thinking, how theological do I get right now at VBS? Why did Lindsay give me that answer? It was a good answer, Lindsay. You were thinking. Your mind was in the game. You caught Pastor Dirk totally off guard. Why did Lindsay give that answer? The reason she gave that answer is because of the Apostles' Creed. In the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, and then what? He descended to hell. That's what the Creed says. That's what we stand up and profess to believe. Uh, Often, after we take communion or... Uh, throughout the year at various points in our worship service, and that's why Lindsay gave me that answer. And again, none of us can fault her for giving me that answer. In fact, that shows, Lindsay, that you listen in church and you think and you use your head, so thank you. Keep doing that. Uh, Now, the truth is, uh, there is no article in the Apostles' Creed which has been and continues to be as controversial as this one, he descended to hell. In fact, a lady said to me this morning, she was a visitor, she said to me this morning, I wish I was able to come tonight to hear your sermon because I've always struggled to say that line in the Apostles' Creed. In fact, she said, sometimes in my church, when we get to that line, I just don't say it. I I know of churches, Reformed churches even, who have taken that article clean out of the creed. In fact, many Southern Presbyterian churches have removed that article from the creed. Rick Phillips is a guy that, well, Henry knows, I know. Carl, you probably remember him from the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. His church has removed this line from the creed. And this is a guy who's like, he's like the poster boy of being reformed, right, Henry? Wouldn't you say? He's like, he's like, he's reformed. What comes to your mind? Well, for some of us, it'd be, it'd be the name Rick Phillips, So when these churches say the Apostles' Creed uh, in their church, they say he was crucified, died, and buried, and then they jump right to the third day he rose again from the dead. Now, why do these churches do that? And why has this article in the Creed about Christ's descent into hell been so controversial? Well, the answer is because far from teaching that Jesus went to hell After he died, Scripture teaches the opposite. Certainly you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is not hell. And when Jesus says this to the thief on the cross, he makes it clear where he is going after he dies. Paradise heaven. Now, some have pointed 
to uh, a couple passages in Scripture saying that this is a proof text that Jesus descended to hell. One of those is, is Ephesians 4, 8 and 9. If you want to turn there, you can. Ephesians 4, 8 and 9. I have it in my notes here. Ephesians 4, 8 and 9. This is what we read there. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Now, some have pointed to that passage and said, see, he descended into hell. The problem is that passage says that Christ descended into the earth, (laughs) not hell. The earth is not hell. The earth is the grave, right? It was talking simply about Christ's dying and being laid in a tomb. Another passage used is 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 20. 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 20. Some have said that this passage teaches that Christ descended to hell after He died. This is what we read in 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. That's one of those passages you like what? (laughs) Right? That's a difficult passage. And I don't see much in there that makes me believe Jesus descended to hell uh, after He died. This much is sure. It's always dangerous to put a lot of theological freight on difficult passages. But as far as the interpretation of that passage, it is generally understood as referring to Jesus preaching by the Holy Spirit through Noah, to the people of Noah's day, and not a descent into hell. Anyway, so those are the two passages that people say, see, this passage teaches Christ descended into hell, and we would have to say, well, that's not an overly convincing proof text, neither one of them. Others have made the argument more from a a, a logical perspective, and they've said, well, Jesus had to descend to hell to pay for our sins. And although I very much believe that is true... It couldn't have happened after Jesus died, because before Jesus died, what did He say? He said, it is finished. And when Jesus says, it is finished, that suggests to us that at that moment, the price of sin had been paid in full. So none of those arguments hold much water. Scripture gives us no reason to believe that Jesus descended to hell after He died on the cross. That said, Scripture does give us reason to believe that Jesus descended to hell on the cross. For what happened to Jesus on the cross? Well, Jesus suffered the full wrath of God against our sins. And where is it that the full wrath of God is poured out on sinners? Well, it's in hell. 
To die in our place, Jesus had to go to hell because hell is nothing less than the place where God pours out His wrath on sinners. Of course, we recall what Jesus said while He was hanging on the cross. Another thing He said, we've already mentioned a couple, but He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We must understand that that is nothing less than the cry, than a cry from hell. Okay, hell is the place of those who've been forsaken by God. To be forsaken by God, to be truly, utterly forsaken as Jesus was on the cross, is to be in hell. John Calvin says, Surely no more terrible abyss can be conceived than to feel yourself forsaken and estranged from God, and when you call upon Him, not to be heard. Okay, when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's in hell. And this is only confirmed by what Jesus says next. The next words Jesus speaks from the cross, after He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The next words He speaks are these, I thirst. I thirst. And that too is significant. Do you remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Both of them die. And Lazarus, the beggar, goes to heaven. The rich man dies. He goes to hell. And in hell, he looks up and he sees Lazarus far away, standing next to Abraham. And he calls to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. What are we being told there? Well, we're being told that thirst is the effect of hell. And this simple request from Jesus on the cross, I thirst, it shows us where Jesus has been. He's been in hell. So Jesus' descent into hell, it took place on the cross when He was abandoned by God the Father on account of our sins. And therefore, when we recite the creed, Lindsay and everybody, when we recite the creed, we're not to think of the descent into hell as something which took place after Jesus died, but we're to think of it as telling us what happened to Jesus as He suffered and died. Again, I defer to Calvin, which is always safe. After explaining what Christ endured in the sight of man, the creed appropriately adds the invisible and incomprehensible judgment which He endured before God to teach us that not only was the body of Christ given up as the price of redemption, but that there was a greater and more excellent price that He bore in His soul the tortures of a condemned and ruined man. And so to recite the creed in a theologically correct way, we need, to, we need to think of the descent into hell not in a chronological way, as if this comes after this comes after this. No, we need to think of Jesus' descent into hell in, in an appositional way, as, as further describing what took place 
when he suffered and died. To some degree, we might say that, you know, he was crucified, died, and buried. That's from the perspective of earth. He descended into hell is the same thing stated from the perspective of heaven. Now, is that what the original composers of the Apostles' Creed intended? I have no idea. I have no idea. And there's some evidence that the article, He Descended to Hell, was a later addition to the Creed and not part of the original. But for, yeah, 1,500 years, it's been professed as we have it today. And I'm of the mind that we can continue to profess it in good conscience if we understand it in the way that I just described. Anyway, you'll notice that the catechism does not get into the theological weeds surrounding this article of the creed. Rather, the catechism simply opts for a very pastoral application afforded to us by this article in the creed. Look again at what it says. Why does the creed add, he descended to hell? And it says, to assure me in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. The catechism is taking a very pastoral approach. Essentially, the catechism is saying, listen, Christ's descent into hell and the truth that Christ did descend into hell on the cross, it puts a floor under your despair. Christ's descent into hell assures us that no matter how bad things get in our lives, we can only sink so low. No matter how bad things get in our lives, we can always rest assured that in Christ we haven't been forsaken by God. God has not cast us off, but He remains with us even as He promised He would. We started out tonight by reading Psalm 88. I preached on Psalm 88 last spring. Uh, if you want the expositional version of Psalm 88, you'll have to go into the archives online. Psalm 88 is the darkest psalm in the entire Psalter. And one might ask, upon reading Psalm 88, where is the gospel in this psalm? Where is the good news in this psalm? I remember my seminary professor, preaching professor, saying, you know, every sermon you preach better have the gospel in it. Good luck with Psalm 88. All right, where is the good news in this psalm? I mean, Psalm 88, it ends on a note of darkness, doesn't it? It ends with these words, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. We're used to, in psalms like this, seeing a turn, right? But I have hoped in your... Like, we're waiting for something like that. There's nothing here. It's just darkness. Where's the gospel in Psalm 88? Well, the gospel is this. Psalm 88 is not ultimately about you or me. Yes, it's true. In God's providence, Psalm 88 might resonate with our life at times, but it's not ultimately about you. 
It doesn't ultimately find fulfillment in your life or in my life. No, this psalm, like all the psalms, ultimately points to Christ and finds fulfillment in Christ. Like, Look at the lines in this psalm, right? Uh, who is the one who, who was afflicted and close to death from his youth up? Jesus. Who is the one who, who cried out to God day and night? We know that it's Jesus. Who is the one whose eye grew dim with sorrow, especially when we think of the Garden of Gethsemane? It's Jesus. Who is the one whose companions shunned him and who has made such a horror to them, they said, I don't know the man? It was Jesus. Who is the one engulfed by darkness for three hours on the cross? It was Jesus. Who was the one from whom the Lord hid his face? Who is the only one who can say God's wrath lay heavy upon me and I'm overwhelmed by all God's waves? No one else can say they've been overwhelmed by all God's waves. Only Jesus can say that. This psalm is describing for us the descent into hell. This psalm is ultimately about our Lord Jesus Christ. And we who believe can, can rest assured today that because this psalm is ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how bad things get, no matter how great our suffering is, no matter how acutely we feel as if God has abandoned us, darkness will not have the last word in our lives because it had the last word in Jesus' life when He died for us. Christ descended into hell. And therefore, we who trust in Him can rest assured that we never will. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, because Christ descended to hell for you and for me on the cross, we can rest assured that we never will. No matter how bad things get, no matter how hellish life feels, nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. He descended to hell. Therefore, I never will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for this great truth. That on the cross, Jesus endured hell's worst, so that in Him we might attain heaven's best. Father, even in those most difficult and distressing times of our lives, may we remember that we can only sink so low. We cannot plunge into the abode of the damned, the place where we are forsaken, because Christ did on our behalf. And therefore, nothing in all of creation can separate us from your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Why don't you stand for the parting blessing, and then we'll sing together our closing song. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen. We're going to close with number 419 in the blue book. 419, that's Abide With Me. And uh, I think we'll do one, two, four, and five. One, two, four, and five.